Hello, active and inactive listeners, you monarchs here to behold the swelling scene. I'm Dob, and this is my colleague and artist-in-arms, Maddie Waddle. A squirrel killer. What? I killed a squirrel. I squashed it utterly flat. We're back again with another installment of Mac Bird, none of woman born. An interview with the man himself, Benedict Mott, and I fear a lot of talk about squirrel mortality. So I think we should get the squirrel business out of the way right away. Out of the way? I took a life, Dob. That squirrel isn't going home tonight. His wife and his children will be wondering why he's late. She'll have to put them to sleep and hide her worry and tell him that tell them that surely he'll be home by morning. But he's never coming home, Dob. He's never coming home. I don't know that squirrels quite have that kind of domestic life. You think that squirrel had no one to love him? That's even worse! He snapped out and the world is just going to keep turning and no one will care? You care? That's something. It's nothing if you're a squirrel pancake rotting on the highway. I think you and our guest today are going to have a lot to talk about then. Do you ever consider, Dob, that we may take things too lightly? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of things we take too lightly. But on like a basic level, do you ever really think about death? I mean, we kill fictional characters all the time to up the stakes, to motivate action, but do we really think about it? Are we conditioning ourselves to think of death as a plot device? Death is the ultimate stake. I mean, if it isn't part of a story or if the threat of it isn't in the doorway, then everything is just knocked down a notch in the pettiness scale. Isn't this your entire chickens and rainwater argument? But I just wonder if we don't knock real death down a notch on the pettiness scale when we don't fully consider the weight of what is lost when a fictional character dies. I think it works the other way around. We feel it fictitiously, and that informs our understanding of grief before we experience it in life. Duncan is killed, and Scotland loses a king, and that precipitates a series of events. But Malcolm loses a father. Isn't that the greater loss? Well, sure, but it's also Hamlet. You know, I don't think Macbeth is rainwater and wheelbarrows and chickens. No? It's some weird fantasy about scary and terrible things being real, but harmless. I feel like the squirrel has really started you on an existential crisis. Every moment of every day, we are surrounded by things of great pith and moment, but they so rarely look like it. And then the stories we tell inflate things of great pith and moment to something momentous, so that how do you recognize it when you see it? Waddle, I'm saying this with all the love in my heart. I have no idea what you're talking about. In plays, everything matters, so nothing matters. Do you get it? Honestly, no. I think you feel really bad that you killed a squirrel because you're a nice person and that's all there is to it. I mean, this philosophy you seem to be getting at, this idea that dramatizing things trivializes them, it's weird for somebody who likes to do theater as a hobby. 
well, now that I've taken a life, I'm growing more thoughtful and aware of the complexities of things. Which feels like it's a really good angle to uh, discuss Macbeth. That's what I've been doing. What is wrong with us that we enjoy a tragedy? I don't know. It's like poking a bruise. And with that in mind, I hesitate to address this week's arts calendar. Because the curse is back, people. And it is terrible in its might. Twelve of the Morris Dancers for Peace were involved in a multi-dancer pileup last week and sustained injuries requiring varying levels of medical attention, ranging from casts to, in one terrible instance, knee replacement surgery. Our own Angus Mobile was involved, but hobbled away with just a bad sprain. The remaining dancers, Imogen and Mariah Smythe, will continue dancing from 10 to 6 for another three days. Money collected during the time will go to pay the medical bills of the fallen. Grim days, Dob. Grim, grim days. The bright side is after the success of Barry's Barry's fundraiser jam for Claude Perkowski's studio rebuild, Barry has decided to make the jam an annual event for the benefit of a different local nonprofit every year. This coming year, the jam will support art, so that's some good news, Waddle. Nothing that involves Barry is ever good news, Dob. And finally, as further proof of the sinister and insidious forces at work all around us, several Rome residents have reported that the wood along Windsor Road is dying and trees are disappearing along the east edge. Trees are disappearing? Yes, that's the sort of crisis we're in. But trees don't just disappear. And yet, here we are. You have to remember, Waddle, that Rome experiences per capita 67% more UFO sightings than the rest of the uh, county. What exactly are you saying? Just, you know, reports from Rome are... Are what, Dob? To be taken with a grain of salt. You remember that I spent my formative years in Rome. Yeah, but you're not that Roman... Romans can be anything they want to be, Dob, and maybe they see more UFOs and disappearing trees because they aren't too stuck up and pragmatic to accept that there may be more in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy, okay? Let's just get back to poking up bruises as we move on to None of Woman Born, part six of ART's Macbeth. Arden Radio Theater presents Macbeth, part six, none of woman born. Though he is king, there are things in Scotland beyond Macbeth's power, things dark and ancient that serve another master. They are summoned to the heath under a moon tinged red with blood in a night full of strange calls and thunder. Why, how now, Hecate? You look angrily. Ha! Have I not reason, beldams as you are? Saucy and overbold, how did you dare to trade and traffic with Macbeth in riddles and affairs of death? And I, the mistress of your charms, the close contriver of all harms, was never called to bear my part or show the glory of our art. And which is worse, all you have done hath been but for a wayward son, spiteful and wrathful, 
who, as others do, loves for his own ends, not for you. But make amends now, e'en now he will come to know his destiny. Your vessels and your spells provide, your charms and everything decide. Great business must be wrought ere noon. Upon the corner of the moon there hangs a vaporous drop profound. I'll catch it ere it come to ground. And that, distilled by magic sights, shall raise such artificial sprites as by the strength of their illusion shall draw him onto his confusion. He shall spurn fate, scorn death, and bear his hopes of wisdom, grace, and fear. And you all know security is mortal's chiefest enemy. Come, let's make haste, she'll soon be back again. Thrice the brinded cat hath mewed. Thrice, and once the hedge pig whined. Harpier cries, tis time, tis time. Round about the cauldron go, in the poisoned entrails throw. Toad that under cold stone days and nights has thirty-one. Sweltered venom sleeping got. Boil thou first in the charmed pot. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fillet of a fenny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, witch's mummy, maw and gulf. Of the raven, salt, sea shark, root of hemlock digged in the dark. Finger of birth strangled babe, ditch delivered by a drab, make the gruel thick and slab. Add thereto a tiger's chaudron for the ingredients of our cauldron. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blood, then the charm is firm and good. Oh, well done. I commend your pains, and everyone shall share in the gains. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Open locks, whoever knocks. Oh no, you secret black and midnight hags. What is you do? A deed without a name. I conjure you by that which you profess, however you come to know it. Answer me to what I ask you. Speak, demand, will answer. Say if thou hadst rather hear it from our mouths or from our masters. Paulum, let me see him. Pour in sow's blood that hath eaten her nine pharaoh. Grease that sweeten from the murderer's gibbet throw into the flame. Come high or low, thyself and office deftly show. From out of the darkness, one of the sisters raises a severed head. And Macbeth looks on his own twisted face in horror. He is caught in his own terrible gaze. 
He watches his mouth open, but the goddess's voice comes through it. Tell me, thou unknown power. He knows thy thought. Hear his speech, but say thou not. Macbeth, 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 beware, Macduff, beware the thane of Fife. Dismiss me, enough. The vision melts into darkness of the night, leaving behind only the iron smell of blood. What e'er thou art, for thy good caution, thanks. Thou hast harped my fear aright, but one word more. He will not be commanded. Here's another more potent than the first. A crying and mewling infant appears, born before its time. It squirms and writhes like a maggot, reaching its tiny bloodied claws towards him, its purple mouth screaming in the voice of Fife. Macbeth! 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 Had I three ears, I'd hear thee. Be bloody, bold, and resolute. Laugh to scorn the power of man, for none of born shall harm Macbeth. Then live Macduff. What need I fear of thee? But yet I'll make assurance double sure and take a bond of fate. Thou shalt not live, that I may pale-hearted fear it lies and sleep in spite of thunder. Even as the devilish spawn disappears, a new apparition, this one as glorious as the other's ghastly, steps up from the darkness into a golden light. It is the Prince of Cumberland attired like a king, crowned in gold, and for a scepter, he holds a graceful birch tree. He looks down on Macbeth without pity. Be lion-meddled proud, and take no care who chafes, who frets, or where conspirers are. Macbeth shall never vanquished be until great Burnham Wood to high Dunsinane Hill shall come against him. That will never be. Who, who can impress the forest, bid the tree unfix its earthbound root? Yet, my heart throbs to know one thing. Tell me if your art can tell so much, shall Banquo's issue ever reign in this kingdom? Seek to know no more. I will be satisfied. Deny me this, and an eternal curse fall on you. Let me know. Why sinks that cauldron? What noise is this? Show. 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 Show his eyes and grieve his heart. Come like shadows, so depart. A grotesque parade now begins as a procession of golden kings emerges from the darkness and circles Macbeth. Thou art too like the spirit of Banquo. Down! Guile, thy crown does sear mine eyeballs and thy hair thou other gold-bound brow is like the first the third is like the former filthy hags why do you show me this a fourth start eyes what will the line stretch out to the crack of doom yet another a seventh i'll see no more and yet the eight appears who bears a glass which shows me my... I'll see no more. And yet the eight appears, who bears a glass which shows me many more, and some I see, 
that two folds balls and treble scepters carry. Horrible sight. Now I see tis true. For the blood-boltered Banquo smiles upon me and points at them for his. What? Is this so? Aye, sir, all this is so. But why stands Macbeth thus amazedly? Come, sisters, cheer we up his sprites and show the best of our delights. I'll charm the air to give a sound while you perform your antic round, that this great king may kindly say our duties did his welcome pay. The witches vanish. Where are they? Gone? Come in, without there. What's your grace's will? Saw you the weird sisters? No, my lord. Came they not by you? No, indeed, my lord. Infected be the air whereon they ride, and damned all those that trust them. I, I did hear the galloping of horse. Who, who was came by? It is two or three, my lord, that bring you word Macduff is fled to England. Fled to England? Aye, my good lord. Time, thou anticipates my dread exploits. The flighty purpose never is o'ertook unless the deed go with it. From this moment, the very firstlings of my heart shall be the firstlings of my hand. And even now, to crown my thoughts with acts, be it thought and done. The castle of Macduff I will surprise, seize upon Fife, give the edge of the sword, his wife, his babes, and all unfortunate souls that trace him in his line, no boasting like a fool. This deed I'll do before this purpose cool, but no more sights. Where are all these gentlemen? Come, bring me where they are. Unaware of the unnatural pageant on the heath, Lady Macduff and her young son welcome their cousin Ross to fight. What had he done to make him fly the land? You must have patience, madam. He had none. His flight was madness. When our actions do not, our fears do make us traitors. You know not whether it was his wisdom or his fear. Wisdom? To leave his wife? To leave his babes? His mansion and his titles? In a place from whence himself does fly? He loves us not. He wants the natural touch. For the poor wren, the most diminutive of birds, will fight her young ones in her nest against the owls. All is the fear and nothing is the love. As little is the wisdom where the flight so runs against all reason. My dearest cuz, I pray you school yourself. But for your husband, he is noble, wise, judicious, and best knows the fits of the season. I dare not speak much further, but cruel are the times when we are traitors and do not know ourselves when we hold rumor from what we fear yet know not what we fear, but flout upon a wild and violent sea each way, and move, I, I take my leave of you. Shall not be long, but I'll be here again. Things at the worst will cease, or else climb upward to what they were before. My pretty cousin, blessings upon you. Fathered he is, and yet he's fatherless. I am so much a fool. Should I stay longer? Uh, it would 
be my disgrace and your discomfort. I take my leave at once. Sirrah, your father is dead. And what will you do now? How will you live? As birds do, mother. What, with worms and flies? With what I get, I mean, and so do they. Poor bird, thou didst never fear the net nor lime, the pitfall nor the gin. Why should I, mother? Poor birds, they are not set for. My father is not dead for all your saying. Yes, he is dead. How wilt thou do for a father? Nay, how will you do for a husband? Why, I can buy me twenty at any market. Then you'll buy them to sell again. Thou speakest with all thy wit, and yet in faith with wit enough for thee. Was my father a traitor, mother? Aye, that he was. What is a traitor? Why, one that swears and lies. And be all traitors that do so? Every one that does so is a traitor and must be hanged. And must they all be hanged that swear and lie? Every one. Who must hang them? Why, the honest men. Then the liars and swearers are fools, for there are liars and swearers enow to beat the honest men and hang up them. Now God help thee, poor monkey, but how wilt thou do for a father? If he were dead, you'd weep for him. If you would not, it were a good sign that I should quickly have a new father. Poor prattler, how thou talkst! The door to the manor of Fife flies open, and turning, Lady Macduff sees shrouded figures standing in her doorway. Bless her, fair dame. Danger does approach her nearly. What are these faces? Where is your husband? I hope in no place so unsanctified where such as thou mayst find him. He's a traitor. Thou liest, thou shag-eared villain. What, you egg? The stranger stabs the young boy and tosses him aside without a thought. Young fry of treachery. He has killed me, mother. Run away, I pray you. Rough hands grab at Our Lady as she runs her sight blurred with tears. There can be no escape except for a moment. She is frail in her humanity, her grief limited by lungs that cannot both run and cry, and he that pursues her is a machine, cool, bent to his purpose and unmoved by the cries of her children or the infant blood on his sword. She may stay alive as she flees through the manor, hustled by servants out the kitchen door, sprinting across the chicken yard, but he will catch her. Before she reaches the edge of the woods, before her screams call her cousin back, before Macbeth sits that night on his throne, he will catch her. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face that it resounds as if it felt with Scotland and yelled out like syllable of dolor. In England, they know nothing of the slaughter at Fife, as Macduff speaks with the exiled Malcolm, Prince of Cumberland. But I believe I'll wail, what no believe, and what I can redress, as I shall find the time to, friend, I will. What you have spoke, it may be so, perchance. This tyrant, whose sole name blisters our tongues, was once thought honest. You have loved him well. He hath not touched you yet. I am young, but something you may discern of him through me, and wisdom to offer up a weak, 
poor innocent lamb to appease an angry god. I am not treacherous. But Macbeth is. A good and virtuous nature may recoil in an imperial charge. But I shall crave your pardon. That which you are, my thoughts cannot transpose. Angels are bright still, though the brightest fell. Though all things foul would wear the brows of grace, yet grace must still look so. I have lost my hopes. Perchance even there where I did find my doubts. Why in that rawness left you wife and child, those precious motives, those strong knots of love without leave-taking? I pray you, let not my jealousies be your dishonors, but mine own safeties. You may be rightly just, whatever I shall think. Fare thee well, Lord. I would not be the villain that thou thinkst, for the whole space that's in the tyrant's grasp, and the riches to boot. Uh, be not offended. I speak not as an absolute fear of you. I think our country sinks beneath the yoke. It weeps, it bleeds, and each new day a gash is added to her wounds. I think withal there would be hands uplifted in my right, and here from gracious England have I offer of goodly thousands. But for all this, when I shall tread upon the tyrant's head, or wear it on my sword, yet my poor country shall have more vices than it had before, more suffer, and more sundry ways than ever by him that shall succeed. What should he be? It is myself, I mean, in whom I know all the particulars of vice so grafted that, when they shall be opened, black Macbeth will seem as pure as snow, and the poor state esteem him as a lamb, being compared with my confineless harms. Not in the legions of horrid hell can come a devil more damned in evils to top Macbeth. I grant him bloody, luxurious, avaricious, false, deceitful, sudden, malicious smacking of every sin that has a name. But there's no bottom, none in my voluptuousness. The king becoming gracious as justice, verity, temperance, stableness, bounty, perseverance, mercy, lowliness, devotion, patience, courage, fortitude, I have no relish of them, but abound in the division of each several crime, acting it many ways. Nay, had I power, I should pour the sweet milk of conquered into hell, uproar the universal peace, confound all unity on earth. Oh, Scotland, Scotland! Such a one be fit to govern, speak. I am as I have spoken. Fit to govern? No, not to live. Oh, nation miserable with an untitled tyrant, bloody sceptered. When shalt thou see thy wholesome days again? Fare thee well. These evils thou repeatest upon thyself hath banished me from Scotland. Oh, my breast, thy hope ends here. Macduff. Devilish Macbeth by many of these trains hath sought to win me into his power, and modest wisdom plucks me from over-credulous haste. But God above deal between thee and me, for even now I put myself to thy direction, and unspeak mine own detraction. My first false speaking was this upon myself. What I am truly is thine and my poor country's to command. Whither indeed, before thy here approach, old Seward with ten thousand warlike men already at a point was setting forth. Now we'll together, and the chance of goodness be like our warranted quarrel. Why are you silent? Such welcome and unwelcome things at once. Tis hard to reconcile. Ross, ever gentle cousin, welcome hither. Stand Scotland where it did. Alas, poor country, almost afraid to know itself. It cannot be called our mother, but our grave. 
where nothing, but who knows nothing, is once seen to smile, where sighs and groans and shrieks that rent the air are made, not marked, where violent sorrow seems a modern ecstasy. The dead man's knell is there scarce asked for who, and good men's lives expire before the flowers in their caps, dying or ere they sicken. Oh, relation. Too nice and yet too true. What's the newest grief? That of an hour's age doth hiss the speaker. Each minute teems a new one. How does my wife? Why, well. And all my children? Well, too. The tyrant has not battered at their peace. No, they were well at peace when I did leave them. Oh, keep it not from me. Quickly, let me have it. Let not your ears despise my tongue forever, which shall possess them with the heaviest sound that ever yet they heard. Huh. I guess at it. Your castle is surprised. Your wife and babes savagely slaughtered. To relate the manner we're on the quarry of these murdered deer to add the death of you. Merciful heaven. What man, ne'er pull your hat upon your brows? Give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak whispers the o'erfraught heart and bids it break. My children, too. Wife, children, servants, all that could be found. And I must be from thence. My wife killed, too. I have said. Be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge to cure this deadly grief. Has no children. All my pretty ones. Did you say all? Oh, Halkite, all! What all my pretty chickens in their dam at one fell swoop? Dispute it like a man. I shall do so. But I must also feel it as a man. I cannot but remember such things were that were most precious to me. Heaven look on and would not take their part. Sinful Macduff, they were all struck for thee. Not that I am, not for their own demerits, but for mine. Fell slaughter on their souls. Heaven rest them now. Be this the whetstone of your sword. Let grief convert to anger. Blunt not the heart, enrage it. Oh, I could play the woman with mine eyes and braggart with my tongue, but Gentle heavens, cut short all intermission. Front to front, bring thou this fiend of Scotland and myself within my sword's length. Set him, if he scape, heaven forgive him too. This tune goes manly. Come go we to the king, our power is ready. Our lack is nothing but our leave. Macbeth is ripe for shaking, and the powers above put on their instruments. Receive what cheer you may. The night is long that never finds the day. Now no eye enjoys the benefit of sleep. In England, rather they plot and plan the overthrow of Macbeth. In Scotland, Macbeth cannot close his eyes without seeing the apparitions upon the heath, and his lady seems haunted by the screams from Fife. Sleep now belongs only to the dead. Will Macduff revenge his family? Will Malcolm take his rightful place on the throne? Join us next week when Macduff says, Turn, hellhound. Turn.
Wow. I've got chills. Here's the line of the week. Security is mortal's greatest enemy. Mention the line of the week at Florio's Pizza Pie for $5 off a brick oven pizza. And now, since Wada will be coming down from her power high, we'll take a moment to respond to what you, the listeners, have been saying. First off, hashtag Waddleer seems to be gaining steam with Eno Fartis. Really, bro? And Prince Halvolio tweeting about it. And my personal favorite, a very dramatic picture of ducks on Mariah Smythe's Instagram. But that's not all. There seems to be rising support for some other potential directors. Barry and Kim Purnell, as always, are getting some attention. And Claude Burkowski has said that he thinks he could direct himself to a heartbreaking performance of Pericles, Prince of Tyre. We'll find out next week how it all shakes out. And now... Welcome to the studio, along with Waddle, Macbeth himself, Benedict Mott. Hello. Ben, I have to say, I find your interpretation of this role to be verging on revelatory. Despite all the terrible things he does, I'm still rooting for him. How have you made him so damn likable? You know, I, I, I always approach every role the way that uh, an actor teacher of mine in college uh, advised us to approach roles. And, and um, no, no villain thinks he's the villain everyone is 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 the the protagonist in their own stories so that's how i kind of try to uh, approach macbeth in every role i play so so how is he the hero of, of his story like how can you send people to kill children and still see yourself as the hero i think what you have to do is you have to look at a character for the totality of of what he is macbeth is a man that is that is coming undone and and no one that is coming undone can can make sound decisions all of the time but i do think that there is a point in this play where macbeth fully realizes the monster that he's become. I mean, it has to be a little bit of a struggle for you because obviously you've never killed anything in real life, have you? Not intentionally, I'm sure. Um, You know, we were all children stepping on anthills. So, I mean, for instance, you've never run down a squirrel in cold blood. So it's probably very difficult for you to really imagine what it's like to take a life. I, I heard about the squirrel. Um, and I mean, is it really so surprising that our particular generation would feel such a connection to woodland creatures? I mean, Bambi, for instance, cried like a baby when Bambi's mother was killed. But it happens every day. There are hunters every day go out into the woods and shoot Bambi's mom. And I think that we're all product of the time in which we grow and being Disney kids more than likely, uh, especially since the movies that touch us are such parallels that get drawn from these more dramatic and, and mature uh, sources. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's quite understandable that you're having this reaction. I mean, you spent... Oh, go ahead, Waddle. You might consider it like the Lion King effect, if you will. Exactly. Uh, You do spend a lot of time in the play dealing with guilt. So which becomes the more defining characteristic of Mac? Is it his ambition or is it his guilt? 
again, I think that Macbeth behaves in the way that he only he he has to. This is the only course of action that he can take. Um, and while he certainly is clouded by his ambition, um, I think that ultimately it is his guilt that propels him forward. So, I mean, I, I gave Mead quite a hard time about this the other day. It really sounds like you are um, giving Mac kind of a pass in terms of responsibility here. Are you saying that Mac has no responsibility for what happens? He just, he understands himself to be the hero in a greater story. And so he must do these things. He must kill his friend. He must become king because that's just what fate has in store for him. Well, when you put it that way, that it certainly does lend one to think that his ambition plays a very large role in everything that he does. Um, ambition can be a hell of a drug, and his ambition is certainly coloring the way that he is perceiving his situation. Um, he, of course, owns every action he has taken. I think he, up until this point has been very clear about that. Um, I think the guilt is what is surprising him. The guilt is what he was unprepared to deal with. And thus the thing that ultimately makes this whole situation a self-fulfilling prophecy. And before we move on, if we can just uh, uh, maybe once and for all solve my, my debate with Mead. Um, if Banquo had said something, if Banquo had taken some action, isn't he probably the one who could have stopped all this or at least slowed it all down if he'd just like That's an interesting point. Taken some responsibility. If Banquo had spoken up when Banquo first began to have his doubts instead of riding off with his son, uh I th I think that the events of this play would have gone a lot differently. Uh, and I also think that in either, in either case, one way or another, fate was going to have its way. So once Macbeth makes the decision to kill Duncan, um, what Banquo then did may be irrelevant. If he spoke against Macbeth, then the Thanes and, uh, of uh, Scotland would have acted against him sooner. However, at that point, aren't we just speeding up the process? I'm going to jump on Dobbs' personal responsibility bandwagon before he tries to prove me wrong with your answer. And uh, I'm just curious, in this whole discussion, like what what other options besides guilt does Macbeth have to take personal responsibility for this? Is there anything he could do, any penance he could make that would change that he's taken a life? In the real world? Absolutely. In the way in which Shakespeare constructs his plays and, and the rules by which he, he, he abides when, when writing his tragedies? Absolutely not. Uh, blood will have blood. Uh, and and uh, as as we know in 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 the Avenger tragedy, everyone involved in that first offense must die. 
does not bode well for me when it comes to my offense earlier today. He's talking about in tragedy, Waddle, not in life. It was a tragedy for the squirrel dog. All right, Ben. So the... Does the fact that Duncan was played by Mr. Tittle, who's also played your father in uh, Henry IV, and is just a lovely man, did that did that inform your guilt at all that you were playing with? Absolutely. Um, uh, this, uh, Simon was a treasure to work with, and um, he's a very kind man. And um, I, I, I believe Macbeth shared a similar uh, fondness for Duncan at one point or another. Um, I, I let a little bit of that through in my performance, my admiration uh, for, for Mr. Tittle. I mean, as the man at the center of the story, I, I feel like I have to get your opinion on a question that's been weighing on me. When all is said and done, what's the point of this play? I mean, why are we putting ourselves through witnessing these horrible things? Uh, are you going back to uh, your question earlier about why we enjoy the dramatic? I, I think I have to agree with Dob. I think that we endure these horrific stories in order to better make sense of the things that happen in our lives. The human brain does this amazing thing while we sleep. And um, it, it creates these images um, and these experiences that aren't based in reality, uh, largely. Uh, they're called nightmares. And that is how we psychologically prepare ourselves for the inevitable to, to happen, death, loss. Um, so I think that this is just another manifestation of that need for the human mind to fully embrace all of the things that we experience to be better equipped to handle them as they come. Okay, I, I can get on board with that for the audience. And now I have to admit something that I hope other actors will feel similarly about, but I'm in this play, I'm playing a witch, I've got some dubious morality, and gosh darn it, I am loving it. I'm having so much fun being bad. And I can't help but think that influenced my carelessness on the road today. I mean, have you experienced that as Macbeth? Is it enjoyable to play this man? I think that we all revel a little bit in the uh, ability to step outside of morality and be selfish beings on stage that have no consideration for anyone that's around us. I think that's, that's the allure of playing the villain or a villainous character. But just the same as a person that would play a video game and cause great digital harm, uh, most of us uh, would, would never step outside the realms of fantasy and, and do that within the real world. There's a safety in knowing that this thing that we're portraying um, isn't real thing. It's, uh, it's our own private idea of what it would be like to order the death of an entire family to secure your lineage or curse a man that has otherwise not really done you any harm. So to answer your question, yes. Yes, I have. Well, you've set my heart a little bit at rest. So I'm going to 
turn away for a moment from the grim and focus on some human interest that may be of interest to our listeners. Um, we have a lot of Milford Haven High alumni in the cast, of course, but I don't know if all our listeners know that you, Jasper King, Claude Perkowski, and Dob himself, you guys were all in the same class. And uh, this is the first art show where you're all together on air. How's that been working out? It's a lot like high school. Um, your cliques and, and people writing anonymous letters. It's been different in, in productions that I've been a part of. Um, of course, uh, there's been some overlap, but I don't think we've had overlap with quite this extensive uh, you know, history between all of, all of the players. I've just been so struck by, uh, you know, when we go to the bar after rehearsal or, or after a show and, and who would have thought back in high school that, you know, Jasper and you and me and Claude would all be hanging out. I mean, do you remember Claude in high school? Like whoever would have thought that he no, would have been. No, I don't. I mean, that's the point, right? <laughs> and now he's the, you know, the star of ART and, <laughs> oh, we we all certainly came into our own, didn't we? Eventually. Um, <laughs> but what do you think has caused the different? I mean, and I don't know if this has to be opened up even even to you, Waddle. Um, but like, what do you all think has been different this time? I'm not normally in the room, and certainly there's not normally you know four uh, people all from uh, you know Milford High 04. Um, but uh, uh, I don't I don't know what it is that's made it made it different, you know. Well, um, Spalberg, as a new director, he, he tried new things, like like using an actor for narration. It just opened up a can of worms as as to what art can be, which is good, but it also pointed out some flaws in what it is it it's been so you know i know we have to finish up the interview and all that but it has been so good to be hanging out with you again some more and jasper and claude too um i see jasper a lot and claude's always in the studio but it's reminding me of the good times we don't hang out enough anymore absolutely absolutely uh i mean you know the wedding is coming up so we'll see each other again very soon that's true. Wedding of the century, Benedict Mott and Viola Cabbage. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, it's going to be something. She's made sure of that. <laughs> oh, I know. She's crazy about with the wedding planning. Being the maid of honor has been a trial by fire. I don't know how you're going to handle being the groom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lucky man. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> Um, but uh, before we do, what's next, Ben, after a role like this? You're, you're going to get married, of course, but what, what's your hoped-for next role in, uh, in your next ART production? Well, a little birdie told me that King Lear is on its way down the pike, and I would love to play Edgar. Um, and uh, I also hear that uh, Waddle is directing this one huh is that is that true maddie i i don't think so oh come on you should you should direct you should direct because of instances like tonight when when you have all this insight to provide about the human experience i think i think it's the right move for you i do 
Well, I, I appreciate that. And I agree. I think Waddle is definitely uh, the solution to a lot of a lot of this subterfuge and high school nastiness. Thank you both. I mean, I'm warming to the idea. No pressure. No pressure. It still seems like a lot for me to take on. Well, I think that brings us to our Shakespeare question. And uh, tonight's question is from As You Like It. What shall he have that killed the deer? What shall he have that killed the deer? What shall he have that killed the deer? <laughs> well, in Bambi, it was a shotgun. <laughs> Bringing it full circle. Spoiler alert. Well, an appropriate ending going into next week when our big Scottish regicidal fantasy concludes with tomorrow. And an interview with the rightful King of Scotland and our classmate, Jasper Kane, and a look into the future of ART. Until then, all we have to say is this show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. <laughs> We're Waddle. And Dob. And this has been The Horned Moon Presents. If this podcast has offended, think but this, and all is mended. That this a work of fiction is nothing real but for coincidence. Our show is written by Merlin Cusell and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett, with help from Charlie Johnson. Merlin and I play Waddle and Dobb. Our guest this week is Mike Lake, playing Benedict Mott. As always, our music is written by Andrew Dickinson and mixed by Eric Bostick. If you like our show, please take a moment right now and give it a rating or review on your podcast app to help other folks find the show. Like, subscribe if we be friends. Next week, Max Beth and Duff contend.